0: Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. It's good to be with you again this week, and I, I, uh, I hope that you came expecting that there'll be something that will help you in your emotional life. Because many times in church, we don't talk much about emotions unless we're talking in terms of how someone messed up. And so what I'd like to talk to you about today is that is how God views our emotional life and that he cares about our emotional life. I was asked not long ago, okay, I'm in counseling, what's your end game? This person came ready, what's your end game? And I said, my end game is when you're done, you'll be able to say that I learned how to make my life work and feel better. Because you may think I'm a nice guy, but if that's all you can say about me, is counseling's been a flop. And so what I want to happen today is that in this service, You're going to learn and begin a journey on how to make your life work and feel better and make your emotional life work and feel better. It won't be all inclusive. We only have so much time and uh, some of you have food that's probably cooking at home. Usually not a good idea to mention food in church because it gets folks distracted enough. But that's what I'm hoping will happen today is that you'll have some things that will help you when you walk out that door you'll be able to say, okay, I know where I need to go now. I know what I need to do to be able to make my life work better and uh, to feel better. There's a couple biblical truths that I want you to capture. And one of those is this, is that God cares about your emotional life. The psalmist says in Psalms 34 that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed uh, in spirit. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So he's close to us. He cares about our broken hearts. That's the first thing that is a biblical truth. There's some other verses in that same passage in Psalm 34. It says, when they cried out to him, he delivered them from their distress, from their pain and their sorrow. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties and your cares upon him because he cares about you. He wants you to do that. He wants you and I to say, I need you to help me with this. It's not dumping them on him. It's saying, I need you to help me with this. I'm having a hard time. And some of you I know came in to this service today and this week has been a tough week for you. You fought with each other. Maybe on the way to church, you've heard bad news, you've heard things that you don't want to hear, and it's not easy, and it seems sometimes relentless. I know these things. We don't always advertise when we come into church, but we know that they exist, and I know that they happen. So one biblical truth, of course, is that God cares about our emotional life but something that seems self-evident, but we all know it's true, that many times this deliverance that we're talking about is that it, does, it, hap- it doesn't happen eventfully. It doesn't happen all. It's not one and done. We can pray and start to feel better and, and someone can encourage us, but it doesn't stay with us. It, it doesn't last necessarily the whole week and it's not a one and done. And sometimes it's deliverance. It happens over time. And I think that's self-evident. We know that we can pray about these things. And so those biblical truths, an example that would be Peter. When it comes to emotional struggles and addiction and relationships, those things don't fix quickly. I think we know that. Peter was an example of that. Peter was bold when he was declaring that Christ was the Messiah, that Christ said to him, well, let's be clear. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, Peter, you didn't come up with that yourself. So he was bold when he said that. But he was fearful when he denied Christ. He was afraid that they were going to, his fate would be the same. Ultimately, it was, except a little bit the other way around. So he was fearful. And then it says after he did that, <clears throat> he went off and he wept bitterly. There's something visual about that. He wept bitterly. But then again at Pentecost when he was preaching, and he said to them, because all these folks were speaking different languages, and he said, these folks are not drunk. And he went on to tell them, by the way, you killed the Messiah. He looked at them and said, you killed the Messiah. And it had an impact because they said, the scripture reads that they were cut to the heart and ask him, what must we do? And what did he say? He said, you need to repent and be baptized. So he had courage that day and he was not fearful that day. But then again, as time went on, Peter began to try to please people again. And, and we all have that tendency, more or less, and I'll talk to you a bit about that next week. But Peter was hanging out with this group, what they call the Judaizers, and these are the folks who were saying, it's not enough to know Christ. You need to do all of these other things too. If you've not been circumcised, you've got to be circumcised, no matter how old you are. Imagine that. Well, I won't excuse you imagine that. Let's just say that he said that had to, he was hanging out with him, and Paul challenged him. He said, Wait, he confronted him on his getting caught up in this, what we would call legalism. So Peter was a a, a whole, a prime example of someone in the scriptures about his emotions being here and there. Certainly there's other people in in the scriptures that had a lot of emotionality. Uh, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He saw what his country and the people were doing, and he grieved over the fact that they were not willing to come to God even though he prophesied to them that they need to, needed to. So yes, God cares about our emotional life. He does care about that and he cares about when we're having a hard time, when things are tough. But he also does that, he tends to do that over time. Now, not a bad catch. Now, in light of that, there's a couple human tendencies that I want to make you aware of. And these are ones that I think that we're all aware of, and we've all done them more or less, to say we, it's, it's highly unlikely that we've not done these things. And the first one is this tendency that we have to catastrophize, to make things worse than they are, to say something is awful when they're not really awful. I mean, if something happens that your meal didn't come out the way you want to, it's not true to say, oh, this is awful. It might be disappointing and inconvenient. You might have to scramble, but it's really not awful. We all know things that are truly awful. Let's take a look at what happened here. This first one, the tendency to catastrophize. Let's look at the scripture. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations and that, ha- that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, now, in all fairness to Martha, we would be a little bit on the nervous side if we knew Jesus was coming to lunch. Things might be a little different around our house. But he said, he said Martha, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Now one of the things that happens when we catastrophize and we begin to look at many things and we don't see anywhere that Jesus condemned her. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things instead of, but only a few are needed, and and I'm it, essentially. I'm the one thing today. I'm the thing du jour, I'm it today. Who do you know that says, I've got a million things to do? Who do you know that says that sometimes? I've got a million things to do. You, you understand Martha. You understand why she was coming in and almost telling Jesus what to do. Tell her to come in here. So the tendency to catastrophize and make things worse is a source of a lot of depression, anxiety, and feeling overwhelmed. And this is something that I'll talk to you in a bit about how we can begin to overcome that. The second tendency is to disown and shift responsibility for how we're coping with our emotions. It's a human tendency and it's been around forever. Let's take a look at what happened with Adam. <clears throat> he was in the garden. God had told him to not eat from the not tree of knowledge of good and evil. He had told them both to not eat from that. They both did. So he asked Adam about it and in fine form, and this is where sin began, had, well, when they actually ate, He said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. Now, who was Adam saying was responsible for his decision? Do you know anybody that shifts responsibility and blames? Who was he saying? In one sentence, I mean, talk about effective disowning. In one sentence, he said, well, this woman, by the way, that you gave me. Okay. So he said this. He said, this woman is one that caused it, and you, you're the one who gave her to me. Now, let's read on. By the way, God later set him straight in a few verses down. It says, by the way, because you listened to her, here's what's going to happen. He was essentially saying, let's be clear, Adam. You had a choice to make. Just like Abraham, when he decided to have a relationship with Hagar, he could have said to his wife, no, if we can't have any, I don't want anything. I don't want a child with anyone else. God's promised me, but we've talked about that in previous, previous uh, sermons. Let's take a look at Genesis. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. God did look with favor. If you read the passages around that, Cain had given God his leftovers. Abel had given him his first fruits. But on Cain and his offering, God did not look. He did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? What is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you've done the right thing, this we wouldn't be talking. That's the Stuart paraphrase, but we wouldn't be talking. But if you do not do what is right, and this is important, in the other translations he said, okay, you're downcast right now, but here's where it's going to change. He said, sin is waiting for you just outside your door, and you're gonna, it's not, it's not going to be pretty. Because you're down now, but you're going to be angry in just a bit here. I know what's going to happen here. You need to master this because it's going to turn into something ugly. Do you know anyone who gets hurt and when they get hurt, it doesn't take long for them or when they're down, they'd become angry? Do you know anyone who does that? We all do. Of course, I'm asking you a question. We all know the answer. But he said, sin is waiting outside your door and he kills his brother And then when God says, where is your brother? He has the ultimate attitude. He says, in our language, it's not my day to watch him. In the king's English, am I my brother's keeper? So this tendency to shift responsibility is rampant. It's rampant. We hear it every day. We hear it in athletes. We hear it in in politicians. That almost seems like such an obvious thing to say that I almost... Felt like I shouldn't say it, but we notice that folks tend to shift responsibility. Now, let's think about this anger that he's talking about before because there's a process that's going on. Think about, it, if you will, imagine if you will, you've got this saucepan here, and underneath it are these flames, and these flames are things like hurt and sadness, disappointment, guilt feeling overwhelmed, feeling, I've been in southern Indiana too long, feeling, feeling overwhelmed, uh, feeling powerless, and these kinds of things are just cooking this anger inside this saucepan. Eventually, something's going to happen. We know what happens. It boils over and it makes a mess. And if it cooks too long, it's like anything else that cooks on a pan. It's going to take some hot soapy water to clean it off. It becomes resentment and they hang on to that. So, if we're going to, what I'm trying to say to you is this, is that anger is not a primary emotion. I mean, it's not a primary emotion, it's a secondary emotion. It's an emotion that we experience that covers things up. Cain didn't like being disappointed, okay? He didn't like being down So instead of dealing with that and saying, okay, yes, I messed up. I'm disappointed. I wish I hadn't done that. I want to learn from my mistakes. He gets mad because he doesn't like feeling weak. Why? Anger helps you and I to feel right, and it helps us to feel powerful. Now, let me ask you this. If I say to you, you're making me mad, who do I think needs to change? You or me? You specifically. Yes, who do you think, if I say to you, you're making me mad, who do I think needs to change? You or me? Yeah, I'm thinking you're the one who needs to change. Now, who do you think I'm going to have the most success changing? You or me? Okay. Now, have you ever had a time when you're talking to somebody that you love or somebody you're in a relationship with and they're mad at you? How much luck do you have getting them to change their mind? It's got awful quiet in here, <laughs> awfully quiet. Not much, not a whole lot. Because what does anger do for us? It helps us to feel very right and it helps us to feel powerful. That's why it's so attractive because who wants to feel vulnerable? Who wants to feel sad? Who wants to feel hurt? Who wants to feel disappointed? Who wants to feel powerless? When we can just get mad and feel powerful and right. And if we do that often enough, Feeling powerful and right, we'll be doing it by ourselves. That's the most quiet you've been all day. We'll be doing it by ourselves because folks won't want to be around us. You and I must deal with our primary emotions, these things underneath here, those emotions that we don't like feeling. We're not supposed to like them. That's a little wacky. We're not supposed to like them. But that's what he said to Cain. He said, you're downcast, but watch out. In other words, deal with your disappointment, learn from your mistakes. That's not what happened, obviously. But he learned it from his father. This woman that you gave me, remember that? You and I must learn how to deal with these primary emotions if we're feeling hurt or disappointed, or if we're feeling insecure and jealous. Some people think the answer when they're jealous is just to try to get this person to comply more with them so they don't have to feel uncomfortable. Well, that's really not the answer. That's not the answer that God is saying to Cain. He's saying, deal with your primary emotion. You're getting ready to get angry, you're getting ready to do something awful. Does this make sense? So we have these tendencies. Okay, we have these tendencies. We all have them. We've all either witnessed or done them of ourself. We've all blamed other folks for our emotional upset in this. We've all made things bigger than they have to be. Sometimes folks will say that to me. Oh, this is awful. Oh, well, not really. I can tell you awful. And then I usually give them a couple examples and they quickly agree. Yeah, that's... That is awful. You can't do counseling for over 25, 30 years and not hear some awful things. So we have these tendencies. Okay, so what? So what do we do with this? What causes us to have emotional problems? And I'm saying these things to you not just so that this is a mental health lecture, because it's really not. I want you to understand that God does care about your emotional life. Some emotional struggles with anxiety or depression... <clears throat> there is an element of it that could be, have to do with our brain chemistry. Sometimes that's the case, like folks who have severe OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. It, it's, it's, it's a real brain chemistry kind of thing. But most of the time, much of the time, it has to do with the, the way we think. Our thinking causes problems for us. Our our thinking becomes flawed. What I call emotional infections, the things that infect our brain emotionally, most of it's called by flawed thinking. The writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. Elsewhere in Proverbs it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So most commonly what happens though is we tend to think that situations in other people are causing us to feel the way we feel. It might sound something like this. Or causing us to be angry and anxious or depressed. He or she makes me so mad. They make me so mad. They make me feel so stupid. That situation makes me feel so nervous. And we shift that responsibility. That's most commonly the thing that happens. But it's not so much these situations in other people. Because some folks would say, you know, some folks wouldn't do what I'm doing up here because they would, they feel, they feel nervous because they're not used to doing it. And yet, it's not situations and other people that cause us to deal with things the way that we do. You know, Adam said he thought it was. At the same 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 time, it's not situations and other people; it's our thinking that needs to be evaluated. Let me give you an example. Let's say I'm standing over here at Tandy's. As I'm standing over at Tanny's in the line, somebody bumps into right back here my back of my ankle with the grocery cart, and in my mind I'm thinking it was an accident. You know, my ankle is throbbing, but I still think it was an accident. So then it happens again, and I think, well, you are not being real careful, and so it you know it bothers me a little, and then my ankle's still throbbing. Even more now. And then it happens a third time. And I think they're not watching what they're doing. Now I'm getting a little annoyed. So I turn around. And when I turn around, immediately, I look and I see this person. they in a wheelchair. And their little, their little stick there, it looks like they're having problems. And I say, uh looks like that thing's giving you a hard time. And they kind of nod. So... I walk out, I'm hobbling at this point, and I get out to the parking lot, and as I'm walking out, I run in uh, to someone, and and they say, hey, Stuart, Uh, uh, I know what it was, I remember who it was, it was Adam, okay, I just saw him back here, so I thought I'd pick him out. So I said, I run into Adam, and he said, Stuart, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm doing all right. I said, it's, I got banged into the grocery cart over here, and this poor guy right through there in that wheelchair, uh, he, he, uh, he's having trouble with his wheelchair. He said, Stuart, <laughs> wait a minute. He said, Stuart, that's Mike Elliott. He's been trying to get on disability for years. <laughs> I've seen him swim in his pool. There's nothing wrong with this guy. So I think I've been had. What happens to my sympathy? Not maybe so much. So there is this connection between the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. So if I want to change the way I feel, and I want to change how I ultimately end up acting, I need to change the way I think. Because if I don't change the way I think, I'll continue to do stuff and say things and regret it. regrets one of those things that if we had, hypothetically, folks from another planet, I'm not saying I believe in aliens, so I'm not getting weird on you, but folks from another planet, and they come to our earth, and we say, we'd like to hold up some cards with emotions on them. And we want to we want you to tell us do these have a do you think if, what your guess would be if these have a negative or a positive connotation or meaning in our culture so they would hold up the usual suspects fear loneliness whatever else then they would hold up the word regret I imagine the alien saying you know I don't know what it is but that word doesn't sound good for some reason regrets one of those things. The word sounds like it feels. So if you and I don't want to have regrets and keep apologizing, I'm so sorry. Eventually people get tired of that and they don't think we're being sincere. We need to change the way we think. Because if we don't, we won't change the way we feel and we won't change the way we end up acting. And then we get regret which is not good. I've had my regrets. Each of you have had your regrets. And they're not, they're not too great, are they? Sometimes you and I are not sure about what's causing us to be feeling the way we feel. David in Psalms 139, he says this, God, show me my anxious thoughts. And then he says, and David was capable of this, he knew that sometimes it was a result of some sin he was doing. He said, God, show me my anxious thoughts and if there's any offensive way in me. It was a prayer, what I call a prayer of self-awareness. God, help me see myself accurately. Help me know what's going on with me. Help me to know where in my thinking I'm having problems. And so he was asking God, what's going on with me? Do you know anyone who at times they're upset and if you ask them, What's going on with you? They can't tell you because sometimes they're not very aware. So we know our thinking is part of the problem and there's also this problem that we have at times that causes us to struggle and that is isolation. It's another reason. COVID has done some things to us, and I don't want to blame everything on COVID because that probably has occurred way too much. But to say it hasn't had an impact on us would be naive. Folks who are normally not open to feedback or to anybody giving them any other way of looking at it, COVID has not helped them because they become more isolated. And the problem with isolation is that, I don't know if it's up here or not, the scripture the problem with isolation is that we don't, we're not as imaginative and we're not as creative in our thinking. <clears throat> if we look at what it says in Proverbs 18.1, an unfriendly person pursues unselfish ends and against all sound judgment, and he starts quarrels. Now, that's not exactly someone who you want to... It doesn't take long to realize this person's not open. They're not receptive. And so isolation is a problem for us if we get on our own too much. And that's another reason we have emotional problems because we have nobody to to correct our thinking, to challenge us. Sometimes folks just hang around people who think just like they do. And so they're not going to be as much help to you unless there's someone who'll be straight with you. So isolation is a bit of a problem. It causes us to be less imaginative. Even nature shows even nature shows gets this right. They say, well, every year, the wildebeest make their annual track across the Serengeti. Now, some of you have heard this. You could recite it almost with me. But they make their annual trek, and the lion waits. The lion waits and watches for those that, get, that are young, that are old, that are sick, and what's the other one? And are isolated from the herd. that that get away from the pack. And the lion waits to seize that moment and jump on the prey. The scripture says this, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So nature shows gets it right. First Peter talks about this. Isolation is not our friend when it comes to our emotional life. Being on our own will not help us. One of the sayings they say in 12-step groups at the end, keep coming back, just keep coming back. There's a lot of things they say, but that's one that's important because they know isolation is one of the enemies of folks who are trying to stay sober, working a program. So we all have thinking problems, we have brain chemistry We have isolation that causes emotional problems for us, but also, and this is a word that's spoken of a lot, and that is trauma. To say that trauma doesn't have an impact would be naive. For example, you can probably finish this statement for me and I'd like you to do. Time heals all, okay. There's only one thing wrong with that. It's not true. (laughs) We say it, but it's one of those things that's simply not true. It's Jonathan Winters, some of you remember the legendary comedian Jonathan Winters. If you don't remember him, he's the one that Robin Williams, who you might remember, gives a lot of credit to in terms of helping him to become a comedian. But Jonathan Winters once said in a 60 Minutes interview, he said to the interviewer, I wished he would have hit me. And he was talking about his father. And he said, you wished he would have hit you? Would you mind saying more about that? And he said, sure. He said, if you would have hit me, I would have been able to get over it quicker. But the things that my dad said to me, I've struggled with depression my whole life through some of the things he said to me that I've not been able to shake at times. If time heals all wounds, then the woman who's 58 in my office, who cries like it was yesterday over something that happened when she was eight, 50 years would have done the trick. Trauma is a real thing. Peter and Paul went through it. They were persecuted and beaten and thrown into prison. Job experienced trauma. He lost his children, all of his children. He lost all of his possessions. And he lost his health. He didn't lose his wife, but for what it's worth, she wasn't a whole lot of help to him. You know what I'm talking about. When he was struggling, in the midst of that, she didn't take the learn-how-to-be-supportive-of-your-spouse class. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? So she wasn't a whole lot of use to him. So all these folks experienced trauma, and so did Jesus Christ. Jesus was born into a poor family. And then they had to flee the country, being poor people, and resettle somewhere else as a refugee. He was betrayed by his friends. His family thought he was crazy. Did you know that? As they said in the scriptures, I think it's Mark 3, it says, he, they said, have you lost your mind? His friends left him. Do you know someone whose friends have betrayed them? Do you know someone who has slandered you? And he was crucified for us, for things he didn't do. So yes, when I say that Jesus understands trauma and he understands what you're going through, he really does. He's not making this stuff up. He knows what it's like to be talked about, to be slandered, to have your own family betray you, to have your friends leave you and to be crucified and punished for something you didn't do. He knows these things. So what do we do? What do we do? It's important that we tell ourselves the truth. What do I do? This is not making me feel better, Stuart. You talked about all this negative stuff. I came here, they invited me to come, they said you had something to say to me. So what am I going to do if I'm going to be able to master my emotions? The first thing you and I need to do is we need to tell ourselves the truth. A prayer might sound something like this God, help me to see myself and to see my life through your eyes. Help me to see this stuff clearly because I've got so much going on with me that I'm not always seeing it clearly. I can look at you right now, and you can look at me right now, and I can describe your face better than you can, and you can describe my face better than I can. And I've been shaving this face for a long time. We don't always see ourselves accurately. So a prayer might say, God, help me to see myself through your eyes. The scripture says this in John 16, 13. It says this. It says that when the spirit of truth comes, he'll show you all truth. These are what I call, you remember I said these, these, these thoughts that were flawed thoughts were what I call emotional infections. When we tell ourselves the truth, these are emotional antibiotics. And it's essential that we tell ourselves the truth and a writer says that some truth might be, it might sound something like this. I want him or her to be happy. I just can't make them happy. I'm making myself feel miserable in the process and I feel worse to boot. A lie would be I need him or her to be happy. If I don't get this promotion or sell the product or win the game, it won't be because I didn't do my best, but rather someone else was better. That's the truth. Sometimes it's true. I had a client one time who played in the NBA, and I asked him, I'd say, what happened that you didn't continue to play for that team? He said, they brought in better players. That was the truth. Sometimes what happens is, <clears throat> we, without realizing it, God may be protecting you and I from a job that we talked ourselves into and that we could probably have but we didn't get because he knows what's going on in that system and that they're getting ready to downsize and sell off and you're just a piece of helping them market their company. Sometimes he's protecting us from something. We thought we had a deal to rent some land that we could farm and the person went with somebody else, much to our surprise. But we don't know what it would have been like to work with them. We had never done work for them before. We never rented land from them to harvest and share. We don't know how they are to do business with. God may have been sparing us that. Some other thoughts that might make us unhappy or infect our brain will be, will I ever get over this grief? Will I ever get over my girlfriend? Will I ever get over my ex-husband, my ex-wife? Will I ever get over the loss of my husband our wife dying? The truth is this. Yes, you will. It's probably going to take longer than you want it to. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, oh, sure, it'll be fine. You'll move on. Something stupid like, maybe you'll meet somebody else. I'm not going to say that to you. And I'm not going to say, you'll never be the same. That's not exactly encouraging, is it? I think the truth is, most of the time it takes longer than you want it to. So we have gotta tell ourselves the truth. Some things aren't gonna take forever to get done. This is gonna take forever to get this done. Well, not necessarily. When I was a boy I had this yard to be mowed and I looked at it and my mom finally realized I was making the mower flood out so she said you can't go anywhere even if it doesn't start. So I realized, okay, she's on to me. So I got the mower started. I'm 10 years old. I look at this yard, and it looks like a Kansas wheat field. So I thought, what can I do? What can I do? I mowed out a box, and I thought, I'm just going to focus on this box. And I just mowed a box, and then I cut out another box. The truth of the matter is, it wasn't a Kansas wheat field. It just was going to take longer than I wanted to. I wanted to go ride my bike. I wanted to run around the neighborhood, those kinds of things. John, in his gospel, says... If you know the truth, it's gonna set you free. And the opposite is also true. If we're not telling ourselves the truth, we won't be free. So you tell yourself the truth. Tell yourself the truth out loud. We we need to hear these things. We need to hear. Remind me to not use the paper that I used last time. We need to tell ourselves out loud. As I mentioned last week, educators tell us the more senses that we engage, the more likely we are to learn. Someone said, it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't answer. Well, the truth of the matter is, we all answer. So we tell ourselves the truth. We tell ourselves out loud. We need to tell ourselves passionately. We cannot say, oh, I'm going to be fine. Tra la la. That won't work. The roots of emotional problems are like tree roots that go down or some kind of root that goes down and gets into your septic or what have you, and they don't give it up easily. So we need to say to ourselves, you, know, you know, it's, it's probably going to take longer than I want it to. Here's how it might sound. I miss her, and I'm hurting. And I, I don't think it's going to take forever to get over this, but it's probably going to take longer than I want it to. And I don't have to act like I'm thrilled about it. I'm not gonna walk around like Eeyore saying, Oh, isn't it awful? Or a puddle glum for you C.S. Lewis fans. So I don't I don't have to do that. So we tell ourselves the truth, we tell ourselves out loud, we tell ourselves passionately, and we tell ourselves repeatedly. Let me ask you this: when you go to a doctor and they give you antibiotics, what do they say? Do they say these are gonna kick in right away and you'll be fine? No. Do they say once you start taking them? And you start feeling better, you can stop. No. What do they say? Take them till they're gone. And when we are trying to overcome, as human beings, we have our issues, and one of them is our emotional issues. When we're trying to overcome those, we need to tell ourselves the truth out loud, passionately, and we need to tell ourselves repeatedly. Moving on quickly, what about? What about what do we do with this isolation? Well, Hebrew writer says this. He says, you need to look for ways to spur each other on to do good things. To consciously consider, to consciously ponder. When it says, let us consider, what it's saying is, let's, let's, let's thoughtfully ponder. Let's look for ways when we're around him or her that we can encourage them. Now, we can't do that if we're at home. That same writer goes on to say, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in the manner some of them are, which essentially saying is, come to church, come here consistently, be around people so you're not isolated, so they can influence your thinking. You don't have to come here and act like it's all okay. In our church, our church needs to have as much, if not more, transparency than a good AA meeting where At that point, they're convinced that things, unless they're there involuntarily, they're convinced things that their life isn't working. We need to have a situation in our church and in other churches where folks know when you come there, you don't have to fake it. No, we don't have to tell everybody our whole story, but we don't have to come in and act like it's all okay. Okay. So isolation can be dealt with by getting ourselves in here and being around people who will be straight with us, who will pray for us, who will love us and accept us, even if we're having a hard time. Trauma, I'll briefly say something about that, and that is this, is that God does know, Jesus does understand, as I said earlier, what you've been through, and he's here to help you through that. He will take your situation, and he will work all things for your good. He's interested in helping you do that. I want you today, when you leave here, to know this, that God is interested and cares about your emotional life and that he wants to help you through it. He wants to take your suffering, as I said two Sundays ago, and he doesn't want it to be for nothing. He wants your suffering to be for something. So as you come through this, this thing that will probably take longer and you and I want it to, you'll be able to be of use to other people. Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you do care about our emotional life. And we just ask that you would help us to feel your encouragement because we confess that sometimes it's tough and we need you to be with us. Lord, maybe there's someone in here today that has not, does not have a relationship with you. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll give them the courage to seek Adam or me or someone else in the back of the room out if they'd like to pray to come to know you. Lord, we thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.